Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we really talk about anything and everything that's related to Gundam. So that could be the lore of Gundam. Gundam series, movies, the music, like the opening songs or the the outros, uh, mobile suits, top fives, really anything and everything that's related to this massively incredible franchise genre that we all love called Gundam. Isn't that right, Brian? That is correct, Isaac. And tonight we are going to do another mail episode, which we have not actually done, Isaac, in almost a little <laughs> over a year, actually. It's been almost exactly a little over a year. <laughs> So the mail has piled up, Brian. Is that it? Like like Santa's workshop, just getting a, a constant flow of letters? <laughs> <laughs> we have a full bag, a full magic bag, and we are ready to empty it. Stuffed colony, full of letters. <laughs> oh, boy. Speaking of colony, that's going to be oh, the... I think that's going to oh, be the star of the show tonight, Isaac. It might be. I mean, Brian, I think I speak for both of us when I say we both like colonies. All right. We do. I, yeah. I, I, th- I think you like the, the science and the engineering behind it, and I just like <laughs> dropping them. But... <laughs> I mean, this is called the Colony Drop Podcast, so it's going to be about the drop, listeners. <laughs> Brian, be honest. You kind of like it when the colonies get dropped, too, don't you? <laughs> uh, I think it's a very unique thing to Gundam, so why shouldn't we be proud of it, right? There you go. Why not? Yeah. You know what? They had it coming. <laughs> this franchise made up the Colony Drop, so the trope is named after Gundam. God, I'd like to get a shirt that says, like, I wish I was in a Colony Drop or something. <laughs> <laughs> Or I'd I'd rather be dropping a colony. Or <laughs> yeah, I don't think you actually wish you were in the colony drop. No. <laughs> that seems like a bad idea. Well, maybe on like a bad day, like, oh, this Monday's taking forever. I'd rather be in a colony <laughs> drop, you know? <laughs> oh, just drop me now. Yeah, just drop a colony on me now. It's like, what are you talking about, Isaac? It's like, you won't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it would be worse to be in the colony or be dropped on? Well, are we talking about like... Island fish because you got gassed if you were inside. Well, but let's assume that you were in the shelter and you were not gassed and you had your, oh, okay. your suit on. Ooh. Oh, that takes us back to our, was it F91? I think it yeah, might have been F91 yeah. where we were discussing, like, theoretically, if you're in a shelter you, and you have a normal suit, you can just get out of the colony before it lands, you know? <laughs> yeah, just get out. I mean, what's the worst that happens? You get, know? get out while you're in deep space, hope someone picks up your signal, and you're good. I mean, it's better than the alternative. Yeah, definitely. But if you're on the ground, ooh. Oh, this is so fascinating. Okay, here we go, Brian. Um, (laughs) So at a certain point when Island Ifish was falling, and when it was clear that they were going to miss their target, I I would like to imagine, kind of like how our world, or at least our country now here in America, has like a, you know, you get the text alert on your phone. Yeah, yeah. I would like to imagine that the Federation, since this is the very first colony drop, didn't exactly know 100% where it was going to fall. Maybe they kind of knew around the Pacific somewhere, but maybe there was a mass text to everyone on the surface, <laughs> uh, to ev- not everyone, but every phone on the surface of the earth that incoming colony shelter in place. Oh, so man. that might have been like a panic and a fear felt around the world for a short period of time. Yeah, I wonder if it's like when people fall out of a plane and they die from a heart attack before they hit the ground. Does that happen? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you don't have a if you don't have a parachute and you're falling, obviously it's not going to end well, right? So I know people will they will you know they have a heart attack and they'll die. Oh wow, that's a mercy. But if you're on the ground, does the same thing happen? Like you see this thing coming at you and you're like, well, I can't go, I can't go anywhere. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
you know what? I'd rather be on the ground because I feel like you have a chance. You have options, right? Like theoretically, yeah. you might be able to get into something that can get you fast away, get away fast enough. Yeah. Theoretically, some Federation officer might be able to grab you and like, you know, put you in the last elevator going 10 kilometers down to a, a, a bunker. It's, it's possible. As opposed to being in the colony, I can just imagine like the the three people that didn't get gassed at Island Ifish that managed to like get into like I don't know their credit union's bank vault. Um, <laughs> they they must have burned alive, right? They were roasted before impact. Yeah, or the concussive force just took them out. I mean, if Indiana Jones has taught us anything, though, Isaac, you can just get in the fridge <laughs> and you'll be okay. That's true, but we, as as we'll discuss later with the G forces, that fridge was not subject subjected to G forces in excess of ten. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it might have been a different story for Doctor Jones. Poor Doctor Jones. He got fridged. <laughs> All right, Isaac. What is our first comment for today? This comment is pretty recent from a couple months ago and it's about the witch from mercury brian which as you recall which uh pun intended as you recall (laughs) we wrapped up not too long ago and uh also came out not too long ago this is one of those rare times where a piece of gundam content came out and we just jumped on it brian we just got it done yeah that's right (laughs) this comment comes from tuba overlord 1701 who said regarding the openings and endings that uh Pretty sure that he's not too far behind us in terms of age and our musical taste, I assume, that have been frozen in time since our, <laughs> our high school time and, and 20s. They abso- said they absolutely adore the first opening. And they said it just meshes so well with the slice of life feel that Witch from Mercury has. I'll say this about Witch from Mercury music. That one soulful ending had much more impact and I still enjoy listening to it compared to any other ending or any opening in the series. Yeah, I agree. I think the second uh, opening and second ending were better than the first, uh, particularly the second uh, ending I thought was really good. And Workhorse Painter, or Andrew on Twitter, who is a Colony Drops official miniatures expert painter, he also liked the opening ending, and he can't believe we don't like him, Isaac. So I guess we're just uh, out of touch on this one. I, don't I know. guess so, but I mean... I can only defend myself, Brian, but I don't listen to much J-pop or Japanese music at all outside of like anime intros. And nine times out of ten, I hit like skip intro on the um, <laughs> on what? How should I phrase this? On the non-subscription platform I happen to uh, use to watch all anime. Uh, yes. <laughs> so I I might not have the ear to catch and appreciate the J-pop intro and outros that everybody seems to love. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I I, I agree. I don't listen to j-rock or j-pop or j-metal you know whatever it is uh, outside of anime we sound like boomers <laughs> we do yeah we're just... those are the 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 japanese uh, rap um <laughs> j-rap is that Why a thing they call you say it j-tech <laughs> <laughs> i guess i'm glad that everyone enjoyed the opening and endings i mean because that can drive interest to your thing like if the first 30 seconds of the intro doesn't catch you you might just turn it off so it is in their best interest to find things that appeal to the widest audience. I guess they just didn't get us th- that time, but we were going to watch the show anyway, so it didn't even matter. Uh, speaking for both of us, Brian, we're both big Gundam fans and supporters, even for the stuff we don't believe was a uh, a perfect landing. Um, That's right. So in this case, if people are enjoying the music more than the anime, good. Good on them. <laughs> and keep enjoying it. You know, at least something good came out of the anime. <laughs> <laughs> 
then that kind of actually leads into the other witch comments. Ooh. We got a lot of different comments about overall feelings about the show. I'm not sure that I want to read anyone in particular, but thank you all for writing in. Although, I think what's confusing now, Isaac, is that YouTube changed everybody's name. Now it displays, like, their handle instead of their other name. So some of these people have like had their name changed now so apologies if i'm not referring to you as the person i used to refer to you on other <laughs> mail calls but you you have different names now so it's hard to see but you know people like uh big sword tied on 19 uh who's a frequent commenter heavy metal gunpla like that guy's uh i think i'm subscribing to his instagram hmm. jack out 08 and a uh, good old will Bursky. oh and bookworm on twitter bookworm 007 that's a cool name i feel like the comments were pretty i'd say they were leaning negative overall Right. I think people acknowledge there was a lot of positives, but it seems like most people agree that the ending kind of <laughs> the bed a bit. <laughs> it's so rare, Brian, that you come out swinging with such brutality. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, normally my, my like repeating fa- phrase is um, <laughs> didn't stick the landing. <laughs> you said that you <laughs> bed. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it looks like they had indigestion. Um, <laughs> Look, the plane was going down and then yeah. just... You know, I don't know. It did a spin move on the runway and just exploded. So, you know, in my opinion. But uh, so interesting. That was more negative than I thought perhaps most people would be. It's definitely mixed and kind of reading between the lines of people's comments. A lot of people clearly wish the show was better than it was. And some people are absolutely kind of doubling down on, no, we should be complaining. (laughs) Like Big Sword, Big Sword is big on complaining and speaking his mind. So good on you, Big Sword, because, yeah, we... (laughs) This was not a great Gundam series by any stretch of the imagination. And if it was, you wouldn't have people defending it. You'd have everybody just kind of lockstep saying, this was a great series, go see it. But that's not the case. Instead, we have a lot of commenters kind of jumping in, trying to explain things, trying to defend things. And that just means overall that this was ultimately a controversial series that we we all wish was much better than it was. <laughs> yeah, big big sword really took a big sword to the series, I would oh, say. Yeah. Like the sword from uh, Berserk. <laughs> yeah. I liked part of Big Sword's comment because he got me on this one. He said, just to be clear, the Elon Prime guy wasn't actually the CEO. He was just the next in line person. But Isaac, that actually makes things even make less sense because if he's not actually the CEO, he shouldn't have the authority to sign over the damn company to anyone. Wait, so he did an action without their knowledge? Oh, God. Exactly. He wasn't even the acting CEO. Yeah, how could he even do that? That doesn't. He can't. That's no. the whole. Thing. It, it makes it makes for a good plot point of like, oh, okay. we got him to sign it over, but it doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. I, I like that even less now. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, Big Sword. You just took away more points from Witch from Mercury <laughs> by revealing more information. <laughs> you stuck your sword in and you twisted it. Yeah. I just now it's bleeding out all over. The witch is bleeding out <laughs> all over the podcast floor. <laughs> Get the mop. I liked Tydon's comment as well, Isaac, because him and I got into a discussion about what kind of failure of a series do you prefer? Like, if a series is going to be bad, do you prefer one that's bad all the way through or one that's just bad at the end? Okay. And shorter. So the examples of this are Victory, right? Victory was 51 episodes of, of torture, and there were maybe 10 to 15 really enjoyable episodes in Victory, but overall it was a very, it was, it was a slog. Plot-wise, high-level idea, not terrible, but obviously execution, bad. Witcher Mercury, plot-wise, 
seemed okay, but then at the end it just completely fell apart and like broke your heart because you were really invested for like twenty episodes and then the last five just just murdered you. So which which hurt do you prefer, Isaac? I, I know this might get some people to roll their eyes listening to this, but I'm gonna take the Game of Thrones approach and say watching that series for years of my life, being so invested <laughs> to have it end that way felt like such a stab in the back and the chest and the throat and the eyes <laughs> that I would have much rather have have almost waited really till the series was done if I could and then heard if it was worth watching because clearly it's mm. not now. Clearly nobody recommends Game of Thrones anymore to watch. So... Uh, Cutting to the chase, yes, I would much rather prefer uh, knowing from the get-go a show is going to be bad rather than going into it and then, oh, at the end, it it, it, it didn't turn out well. But you know those other episodes are good. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the ending is really critical. <laughs> so Yeah, so listeners, I want to know which one you prefer. Do you prefer you just don't like the show the whole way through and you know it's bad the whole time? Or the Witch for Mercury example where... All of a sudden, it, it turns on you at the last second. See, it's it's a little different regarding Witch from Mercury and Victory. And let me explain. Witch from Mercury was so fresh. It had a lot of hype behind it. We were excited. I almost feel like I would have wanted to see it even if I had heard there was a lot of controversy about the ending just because it was the new Gundam. It was a relatively short series, and you know, it's got a female protagonist. Victory, on the other hand... In the same way, I kind of like the wing approach, right? Well, we we know it's not going to be great. <laughs> we're, we're, we've been told multiple times it's not great. We've been told it's dark and depressing and a lot of bad stuff happens. Even Tomino-san told us not to watch it, but we yeah, still watched right? it. The literal word of God told us that <laughs> do, do not go down that path. Didn't he say nobody should watch this show? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, even with instructions from him, I kind of feel like <laughs> it's a podcast on Gundam. Like that was a checkbox we would have to get to sooner or later. Oh, you gotta so, watch it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we our hands were tied in a way. It was just a matter of, of when. But in general, uh if you tell me there's this great long series that has a bad ending, I'm gonna avoid it. Whereas <laughs> if you told me there's a short series that kinda has a controversial ending, I'd be much more open to the short series. Yeah, agreed. Oh yeah, and also I believe this is Ty Dan nineteen. Ty Dan 19 maybe you can reply and confirm that your name is a reference to the great and incredible homeworld strategy game series where the ruthless villains were called the Ty Dan. <laughs> oh, there you go. Which Brian, I must recommend this game also. I believe it's even free at this point on the uh, on Epic <laughs> Games. Ooh, maybe we'll play it. Maybe we'll fleet battles. Oh, there you oh, go. There you go. <laughs> the last one for me on Witch Isaac is from Great White three five one two on youtube mm -hmm. he asked a question that kind of stumped me because i feel somewhat similar about both of these pilots who's a better pilot siletta or bernard Lynx? oh boy i'll go with Lynx just because number one he's a human being <laughs> <laughs> ouch and we know siletta is like the equivalent of like a human being but like the cake mix that you buy at the store that you <laughs> So <laughs> you clonist, <laughs> I'm a proud clonist. All right, uh, for a blue and pure world. Okay, Team Blue Cosmos for life. At least you're consistent. No one can yeah. take that away from you. Right, no one's gonna walk into a room and say, "Oh, I think 
<laughs> like, no. Yeah, no one says to themselves, I wonder what Isaac's opinion on yeah. that is. At the anime convention, I will be in the blue Cosmo shirt at our panel. <laughs> you will you will immediately know who who Admiral Isaac is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But Bonanger's better because he had a fight much more difficult odds. Say what you will about Suleta as far as, yes, she was an interesting character and she did a lot of great things, but Benadryl ultimately did more. He had to go through a much more difficult situation. He had to fight much better opponents, way more battles than she did, and he came out on top. So did she, but um, I I think we're talking about just quantity-wise, he comes out on top. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I do think Suleta is a better character, but Benajer is a better pilot. I think Suleta is much more interesting than Benajer. Uh, and we haven't right. reviewed Unicorn yet, but Benajer was pretty bland. I don't think he was really the star of the show for me. He, yeah. But I, I still think Benajer pulls ahead for me in terms of piloting because in like narrative, he uses the silver bullet suppressor and he's still doing really well. So even outside of his Gundam, he's doing well. So whereas I feel like a lot of Suleta's stuff was, I'm just going to use permit magic and and all my bits are going to do the work for me. If you can make other pilot moves at the same time that are really good, like Amro does that, Char does that. But I, I feel like half the show, most of her battles, right, Isaac, were just, you know, go funnels go, or go bits go. <laughs> and and the other the other opponent really didn't have a chance. Like, the only real battle she had, I would argue, is the very last one against Aerie. Yeah, and that was one and done. Right. Aside from her bits... This is why Witch still feels so different than a lot of other Gundam series because she essentially had like a team sort of guiding her in combat a lot of the time. And that's something that Benajer doesn't necessarily have. But I absolutely agree that Benajer at times came off as a what's the name of a male Mary Sue? Mary, a Mary Sam. He was a Mary Sam. <laughs> Mary Sam. I think there there actually is a name for a male Mary yeah. Sue, but I don't remember what it is. Yeah, this is gonna bug me. I have to look it up. But anyways, Gary Stu or Marty Gary Sam. Stu? <laughs> I, I would almost go further and just say like a Dudley Do Right. But yeah, um, I, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, but whatever name we call him by, you were absolutely right, Brian. He's pretty bland in terms of a character, and I feel like I don't know if there was a change in writing, but Mineva really outshines him in terms oh, of the yeah, in terms of the complexity, um, in terms of the dialogue. Benajer almost becomes like a cardboard straw man pacifist with just the things he says that we've kind of heard in a lot of Gundam series or almost every Gundam series. But Mineva, because of her situation, how unique of a character she is, she she definitely has um, a, a much greater personality. But Benajer's the pilot. We're talking about pilots. What a shock. The new type Gundam pilot is turns out to be a better pilot than Suleta. So. Not that, I don't <laughs> think Suleta's a bad pilot at all. But no. If I had to choose between the two, I think for that one, I'm going Benajer. Yeah, I'd put, I'd put money on And I don't even it. like Benajer that much, so, you know. Really? Interesting. <laughs> I mean, uh, there were a few times watching Unicorn where he said some things, and, like, they kind of paused me in my space fascist tracks. I was like, oh, maybe he's got a point. <laughs> Dude, hot under the fascist collar there? Yeah, it's like, I didn't think about that. They are human beings. Um, <laughs> he's really got me there. Yeah, I was like, now that you mentioned it, I guess we are the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Seed. Okay, Gundam Seed. All right. <laughs> this is from Tidan again. He says, it's always fun to hear you guys dunking on Seed. Oh, he's talking about the concept of coordinators being um, kind of superhuman. 
German, German, yeah, yeah, German Third Reich Ubermensch, which I guess is true in a way. They're definitely portrayed like that sometimes, but I feel like while the implications of it are somewhat terrifying, at least in Seed, the actual reality of it wasn't that terrifying because if you remember, and and you had to like really be paying attention to the series to pick this up. The coordinators and the plants were having a massive fertility problem. A lot of them were sterile. Their population was not going to be able to continue um, for generations like they thought. Something was definitely wrong with how you bake coordinators in the oven, apparently. So they were less, (laughs) I think, superhuman. And they always, to me, just came off as, okay, they're on average, they're somewhat better pilots somewhat better engineers but in terms of the war itself they they clearly never really come out on top <laughs> well yeah and then remember in halfway through seed or whatever they create the os for naturals to pilot and then it's kind of like almost an even yeah. ground they kind of lose their edge a little bit that was an interesting comment by him saying you know two to three shows in a row c double o they decided to like you know new type was a he calls it a hippy dippy esp analogy but then our our new type analogs became superhumans right his point is like people see no problem with this because they they want to insert Mm. as the main character so they want to be the superhuman but it kind of sucks for everyone else right like he says if you got left behind by evolution i don't think you'd be (laughs) cool with that yeah We, we went from this like weird power that some people have but they're not necessarily superhuman right to double o and seed where the the coordinators are jumping really high and they're really good at combat and all this stuff, it kind of became a more generic superhuman thing instead of this like very specific power set. Yeah, the double O, I feel like from what I remember, the Ubermensch thing fits way better because innovators were far superior to the average human. But in Seed, uh, Titan 19, I know you haven't seen Seed, but I still recommend you do. Um, in Seed, the, the corners themselves... Don't watch Destiny, though. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, no, it's not great, but it's okay to watch. <laughs> um, the coordinators themselves were not... If you didn't tell people that they were genetically engineered, I don't think anybody really would have known. <laughs> <laughs> and I say this as Blue Cosmos, but like, think about it. Like, r- How many times routinely were coordinator pilots just killed during these massive battles we had? Like, They're not these invincible superhumans. <laughs> No, that's fair. And I, I think the named ones were superior, like Kira, Atherin. But then to your point, all of the the coordinator grunts, I didn't really see the difference there. No, definitely not. And um, in terms of maybe piloting, even if there was a difference in ability, the scale of the battles really, really diminished that because of how many beams and missiles and super weapons are being fired. And at the end of the day, no matter what Gundam series you're in, um, a person that's a, a natural or an old type. At the end of the day, there's always somebody like that that will use a super weapon that'll wipe out a disproportionate number of the enemy, like uh, Azrael or a Dagwin or a Girin, whoever. So, <laughs> so if you happen to be not a main character or a not a new type or not a, nat- a coordinator, you're gonna be all right. You still got a lot of chances <laughs> to do lots of damage. You'll be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> Staying on Destiny Isaac, Jaegerzaku9160 on YouTube had one of my favorite comments. He had the most succinct description of the Destiny plan I think I've ever seen. Bad people equals dead. 
good people equals jobs. Durandal equals profit. <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> that was pretty much the plan, right? I mean, I don't think it was actually to kill people that weren't like of the correct genes, unless I missed something. I thought the plan was like, we'll have these kind of low class jobs for people with like the bad genes. And then the good genes will go to the people with the high class or the, the good jobs will go to the people with the high class genes. Yeah, but if they don't have a good job or they don't, they, maybe what if they're only cut out to like sweep a floor and then they can't afford to like live anymore? He, he's basically condemning certain people to poverty. It's such a bizarre plan. And I'm glad, oh, well, not I'm glad, but I clearly see why they didn't really explain it because it would have been nonsensical. You know, everybody <laughs> on earth has to be DNA checked. The plants don't have to be DNA checked because they're already coordinators. That doesn't really make sense because on the coordinators in the plants, Somebody's cleaning those toilets. <laughs> somebody's <laughs> somebody's digging those ditches. You know, somebody's somebody's doing the so-called bad jobs, which I don't know how things work in the plants. Maybe they're like the electricians are like in a union or the plumbers are and they're actually well paid, you know, kind of like <laughs> you know, like here in the United States. So it Durandal should probably stick to like, you know, managing the government, not so much trying to restructure society. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a dumb plan. Like, I, I'm whatever was left of Blue Cosmos, I rolled their eyes when they heard their plan or even clapped and said, look, this proves just how insane these, these coordinators are because say what you will about our platform, but we've never done anything this insane. <laughs> <laughs> but if you like, if your conclusion was my plan is too complicated for my show, so I'm not going to explain it. That means you shouldn't, you should just not write it into your show. No, I think they wanted it to have more impact than it actually was revealed to have. You know, I think they wanted viewers to be like, oh, can you imagine what a horrible plan? You'd be put in a category based on your genes. But I'd imagine most viewers would have been like, this is nuts. This is, this is, this is a ridiculous revelation for the villain to show at the end. As This was his evil plan all along. It would have been so much better if he just put on glasses at the end, sunglasses at the end, and said, I'm going to build death camps for all the naturals. And then we all would have been like, whoa, okay. You know, he really played the long game. Yeah, he went <laughs> off the deep end there. Yeah, it really was a villain the whole time. All right, next is our final one for Seed. This comes from Maximo. It says, uh, <laughs> this is about the Blu-ray box sets. He said he laughed when Isaac said, who would buy the Blu-ray box set? Because he's one of those people. We finally know, Isaac. We know who bought the box set. It was Maximo. <laughs> and you know what? He bought it exactly for the reason that I thought he did. Because of nostalgia. Because he's there a fan go. specifically of Gundam Seed. <laughs> Strongest force in the universe is nostalgia. Maximo, I have a follow-up question, though. Like, why not just stream it? Like, is... <laughs> do, do you not have access to a platform where you can stream it? Look, Isaac, when you get your nostalgia bomb, you have to know that it's going to be there all the time. What if what if Crunchyroll takes it off the service? What's, what's Maximo supposed to do? How is he supposed to get his Gundam Seed fix? He'd have to find it in the dark corners and alleys of the <laughs> internet. Where we know all anime really hides. <laughs> you can board Isaac's uh, pirate spaceship yeah. <laughs> with the Crossbone Vanguard and uh, stream away. We'll, we'll put up those beam sails together, Maximo. So we, we at least know that the, the Seed and Destiny box sets have, have one sail each. So good on you, Maximo. More yeah. power to you for, for uh, sticking to your guns and buying the series you like. And to Isaac's point earlier, we support people liking whatever Gundam they like. Sure, yeah. Even if we don't like the show, if you love Destiny, all more power to you. 
we're just here to give you our opinions and our thoughts, our interesting, what we hope are interesting observations. But we would never stop you from uh, watching your Gundam. No, absolutely not. And um, friendly reminder, Maximo, uh, Blu-rays, DVDs, they are not immortal. <laughs> so that's true. That's so true. I I thought they had more longevity than they did. I'm kind of scared to put in the disc for my Escaflone <laughs> box set, <laughs> but I'm gonna have to do it one of these days just to check how it's doing. But yeah, I I even learned solid state drives kind of kind of go too, Brian. Did you know that? Nuts. They do. It takes a very long time, and uh, realistically, people won't reach the uh, the end end of life on their solid state drive. I think I was I just recently built a new computer to obviously play battle operation two and uh <laughs> someone did test out a solid state drive they used it really really heavily for crypto mining or something and it's, it still didn't reach its end of life but yeah i mean maximo you may want to you'd have to go ask a lawyer but i'm pretty sure once you buy the show you have the right to back it up so you might want to rip those dvds <laughs> you know for your own personal use later assuming your pc can even rip anything or even take a disc in itself ah you can buy an external one you know isn't that worth no one wants to go through that well or you could you know locate a copy on the internet and uh, be like ah legally i can have this now because i actually at that point though <laughs> you just went a, you just went backwards <laughs> you just put on your clothes and jumped in the pool like what are you doing <laughs> Okay, Brian, what's what's next in the mailbag? Put your hand in there and pull out another envelope. All right. I'm un- I'm unfolding it. Can you hear it? Oh, oh wow. Ooh, All this is right. a crumpled one. <laughs> <laughs> this comment also comes from Titan19. Award idea for mobile armor awards. Most likely to improve. What bad mobile armor would you think would look good with just a small tweak to the body or to the paint job? The first one that jumps out to me is the Zacarello. Because I think we know those scythe arms were ridiculous. That is like maybe its biggest weakness. Instead, maybe put like some type of uh, wire guided claws, sort of similar to what uh, the Noya Zeal had. I think that gives you way more flexibility. Or even the adjustable kind of tentacle arms Valvaro had. Anything but the little scythe. The scythe were just so so limiting. You can't really grasp or move things. You, you have fewer options. And they really looked like they could only move uh, vertically up or down. So not not a ton of range of motion. That's definitely something I'd, I'd, I'd fix. How about you, Brian? What comes to mind? You know, funny enough, it was also the Zuccarello oh. because it's just so ridiculous looking. But if you look on the wiki, there is something that was developed from the Zuccarello called the Umgarna. It's, it's from a, it's a terrible name. That's actually probably a worse name than the Zaccarello. But it's from one of the manga side stories called Mobile Suit Gundam: The Blazing Shadow, and it looks terrifying, Isaac. And it's not that far removed from the Zaccarello. It just needs, you know. Are you dropping in the chat now? <laughs> yeah, I am. You're gonna see it here. Let's see it, listeners. I'm excited. <laughs> also, I I like how you pointed out that like. <laughs> It looks cooler, and it has a different name. So at that point, it's really not the Zaccarello. <laughs> well, it, it looks... Wow. It's basically the Zaccarello, but they added, like, a oh cool my. segmented tail, and they gave it a paint job that makes it look more like a shark. Y- you know what this looks like? This looks like like the Zaccarello was, like, sitting around, and it went to, like, <laughs> was it LV-421 from the Alien franchise, and a facehugger got in the Zaccarello. The alien xenomorph busted out of the Zaccarello's guts, Oh, and, yep. and and this was what was there because this looks beautiful, listeners. It's got like, it looks like a xenomorph mixed with a Zuccarello. 
It's great. It's pretty frightening, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's white. Much better. That'd be cool seeing a white xenomorph because they're always black. Maybe they'll go to Snow Planet and like the xenomorphs will like <laughs> adapt to white or something. I don't know. There's probably been a white one in like the comics or something. I could see that. Oh, oh God. That franchise is in such disaster. <laughs> yeah, it's not doing too great. They are making another one, I think. Oh, they're always going to be making them. I'm surprised we haven't gotten like the alien series on peacock or whatever you know or yeah. <laughs> paramount plus xenomorph for the series you know <laughs> and it's about it's, it's always about the same thing right there's always like a group of space truckers and like they they space. find when you when you put it like space truckers it's it's more comical <laughs> <laughs> that's what they are though because like nine times out of ten it's like okay <laughs> for this alien menace they sent like 10 marines <laughs> right <laughs> or they send like you know th- this evil company that always knows where these eggs are decides to send like eight people that happen to be like construction workers or whatever or they're, they're moving something in space right, and then right. you know they always fight the alien and the xenomorph and the facehugger shows up and blah 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 you think at this point the military would say okay we're sending 5,000 marines to that planet <laughs> or even the company would say okay we're sending you know a team of 700 people scientists specialists whatever to the xenomorph planet and we're going to do a lot of work on these eggs and stuff and we know exactly what we're dealing with now because of how bad things have gone each time we go nope eight ill-prepared people yeah that's all (laughs) take off your helmet once you land on the planet you know (laughs) all that stuff but that's another podcast (laughs) yeah that's fair all righty so that's the zocrello it's unanimous let's see um titan 19 what would you pick Mm. Don't say Valvaro <laughs> and don't say Noiseal because those are peak mobile armors. <laughs> Isaac will be offended because those cannot be improved. Well, oh, hang on. The only thing Noiseal may be, actually, no, that doesn't even work. I was about to say bits, but that doesn't really apply to Noiseal because he was doing great <laughs> without bits in general. And the wire guided arms could get to essentially the same positions. Bits could. He only got screwed over because Co had that eye field and he had no real, you know, oh. solid state weapons for the most part. I wouldn't even go with that because he had Co dead to rights um, yes, he did. The, the second before the solar system fired. He, the, they need the only way to stop a Gato is a solar system. That's really what this <laughs> boiled down to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next are Gundam tropes. Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, this is from I Am Me and Not Me, which is a great philosophical name. <laughs> <laughs> I Am Me and Not Me said, I'm a big fan of how the writers split the mass pilot trope between McGillis and Galio and Iron-Blooded Orphans. And I'm excited to see how Lady Prospera is handled. Tropes help to establish expectations, and it's up to the story to make the most out of, often through innovation or playing against them. I would like more diverse casts, but I'm hopeful that will be rectified with time. So... Now that we have <laughs> Witch from Mercury in the uh, rearview mirror, Brian, what, what did you think of how the mass pilot trope was handled? Or sort of how, I guess, continuing on that, how the shark clone was handled in uh, Witch from Mercury? <laughs> I think we discussed how we, in our view, they split it up, right, between Prospera, Shattuck, and I guess Ghoul to some extent. You had the mask on Prospera, who was the schemer. You had Shattuck, who was sort of the the orphan and also a schemer. You had the the red mobile suit, I guess, kind of, with Ghoul, although it was pink. I mean, the Darabaldi was red. I think that part was actually okay, other than Shattuck being out of the last battle. 
Huh. So I'm I'm a fan with them of them splitting it up or at least trying something new, right? I mean, you don't want like, and I like his point too about how tropes are okay. It's it's really just how you use them. I think I think that's the, sort of the conclusion that we reached during that during that episode as well. So I, I think I'm on board with that. What about you? I am me and not me. I, I'll say this: I feel like the mask thing was done way better in IBO because McGillis really came off as like a nod to the fans watching especially when he was, you know, in, in the, the fancy mask, <laughs> as we'll call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the season one fancy mask that was kind of way over the top. <laughs> it almost defeats the purpose of wearing a mask if you call <laughs> a lot of attention to yourself sometimes, you know? <laughs> hey, look at that guy. Yeah, it's like, well, we should definitely investigate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the Galio thing was just a cool sort of... Galio's thing was kind of a... It felt like an Iron Mask throwback. Really, it was. It was. Yeah, yeah it was very Iron Pretty Man, clearly. Darth Vader. Yeah. Um, but it was done better, and it was done cool, and it looked great. Very sinister. Lady Prospera. It's like they wanted to do the mask thing, but it, it just came off as weird. We were told that she had to wear the mask because she hurt her eyes in the gravity field of Mercury, and that didn't really. I never bought that. I thought that was such a bizarre way, a bizarre reason for them to to go with right up there with Luna Rugby for um, <laughs> Shar and Origin, and then she just casually takes off the helmet, and then later at the end when she's in her chair, we see her without the mask. Um, it was all just it 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 was not done well. <laughs> So I'm curious what you think I am me and not me about how Prospera was handled because I give it two thumbs down. <laughs> I think the concept of splitting it up between Prospera and the other two is good. To your point, they, they gave us this info about Mercury that you know, was apparently fake, but then they never showed us Mercury. And I can't really think of a reason why she shouldn't have been more scarred under the mask. Like what, what was really gained by her not being that scarred? I mean, I felt like she should have been or... Honestly, I thought she would take it off and like she'd be all machine, like above the bridge of her nose. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because of her arm, and she was able to take off her arm, so I thought they were gonna really point out. And at this at this, at this time in the story too, I also thought we were actually gonna go to Mercury and they were gonna reveal like, wow, this is really rough for humans. <laughs> you know, no wonder yeah. she lost her arm and part of her face, but w that never happened. <laughs> yeah, that part of the show kind of got lost, unfortunately. Which is almost a crime in its own in terms of storytelling, <laughs> right? Because it's called The Witch from Mercury and we don't it's even see... It's in the name. We don't yeah. see Mercury even in a flashback? Not at all. I think it might be in one of those side stories. But, oh, God. You know, we discussed that on the on the episode that hardly anyone, the, a, a fraction, less than 10% of the people who watch your show are going to read that side story. So yeah, when you put it in the name, I, I feel like it should have been in the, in the main show, but... Yeah. What do I know? Well, what's next on the list, Brian? What's what's in that mailbag that's the size of a colony? Just fish it out. Fish out. Pay oh, oh, you got a good one there, I bet. Yeah. All right, Isaac, we're moving to War in the Pocket. War Ooh. in the Pocket review. This one had me shaken, Isaac. I did not realize this, and I, th I feel like you're going to be shooketh too. This is from DDK20284 on YouTube. Little detail about Steiner is he doesn't actually smoke his cigarettes until the night they try to destroy the Alex, meaning that he knew they were going to die. Oh, wow. Oh, like the last smoke, right? Before like a firing squad yeah. or something like that. Or Wow. So during the attack in Antarctica, he just had it in his mouth? I think so. I think it was not lit up. Oh, okay. No, I did not go back and verify this claim, but I trust no. I trust the man. This is a, this is a serious claim. <laughs> DDK, you, you, we're putting a lot of trust in you, buddy. 
His profile picture looks trustworthy. He seems like an okay guy. He looks like a reasonable uh, man. Is he Zeon or Federation? That's the big question, though, Brian. <laughs> I don't know, but I feel like he wouldn't lie to me about this. So DDK, you have to comment and let us know if you're Zeon or Federation. You can only pick one. <laughs> so, I wonder if DDK also knows. So like, oh, Mikhail, like he's. <laughs> it's actually tequila in his flask. If you read the uh, the bottle in the background, and it's <laughs> it's actually not vodka. So. He's just full of war-in-the-pocket vignettes. Yeah, his neighborhood in the colony, it's a Russian neighborhood, but they're right next to, like, the uh, the Mexican neighborhoods. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, reach out and pull another comment, Isaac. Okay, this is for our episode 0095, where we're desperately searching for alternatives to space fascism to, to spice up the antagonist <laughs> roster. That's right. <laughs> This is from Dare76216, and they say, as you mentioned, religious new type cult. I just finished watching Thunderbolt Bandit Flower, and it ends with a new type, possibly cyber new type, cult leader using his abilities to mind control people. There's also a glimpse of an outrageous psycho Zaku being built. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I'd definitely like to watch that. But um, yeah, new type cult, mind control. That, that would absolutely fit in Gundam. We, we essentially have, well, we had stripes of that in spades in, for Victory Gundam. That's essentially how it ended. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair, yeah. Even the Maria followers were kind of cult-ish. Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. They were wrapped up in that cult of personality. And um, I almost wonder if Angel Halo would have been, oh, well, this is a whole other podcast. If Angel <laughs> Halo would have been better if as it was activated it wasn't so much to shut down people's minds but we ended up having a lot of the main characters fighting each other as they came under mind control oh you know? yeah that could be interesting i like that that would have been such an even more tragic ending as they have to kill each other really oh man to yeah. defeat angel halo like don't give mid-90s tomino-san <laughs> ideas <laughs> i think you might be done with the ideas brian <laughs> uh dur 76216 we have not actually watched Thunderbolt yet. I've watched like pieces of it. I didn't realize there was a new new type cold in there. I have a weird feeling about Thunderbolt because they released two Thunderbolt OVAs and then they kind of stopped and the manga goes much further. So for a long time, people thought that they were just kind of waiting for more manga. And I'm not really sure anymore because now the manga has just gone off and is, is now sort of like an alternate universe. It doesn't really work with the, the normal, I'll call the normal canon. So I'm not really sure if we'll ever get another Thunderbolt movie. I mean, I love, like, the animation of Thunderbolt. It looks great. So maybe they'll change it to, like, finish it off or something? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in watching it. I've, I've held off a little bit because the small clips I've seen looked amazing. I'm just waiting for us to... Uh get it on the get it on the calendar right yeah well i was kind of hoping they would release a third one to kind of finish it off um but the manga goes quite far but yeah i'm not sure what they're gonna do anyway but i think the, i think the new type cold idea is good isaac just because angel halo failed you know victory failed i don't think that ruins the idea in general so maybe we'll see it crop up again someday it would be a shame if it ended it with thunderbolt again because it, maybe they won't make any more yeah in defense of evil religious cults i have to say that um the, the failure of angel halo was really on the zanskir military and government it, like it almost had nothing to do with their belief system <laughs> yeah that's fair that's fair uh ethan watkins 7874 on youtube also brought up a uh, new type cult he, he was saying that perhaps the crossbone vanguard you know should have been more of a cult new type cult 
Ah. Like if they had been made up of religious extremists. Wow. That could have been more interesting. What do you think about that? Without question, because what's what we have to realize and what Ethan Watkins even mentions in his post is that we have to remember this comes after Shar's counterattack. So that said, why should the villains still be another flavor of space fascism? Why not just make them a wholly new ideology to begin with? It was very much a missed opportunity, just like the rest of F91 was a a missed opportunity in terms of laying the groundwork properly for a whole series to follow after. So at Ethan, I think we we both agree with you. It could have been a religious cult. Iron Mask as a leader would have been amazing. Maybe it wouldn't so much be called Crossbone Vanguard, but it had to be called something else. But it, it would have been uh, really interesting, I think. I mean, anything maybe other than what they did in the, in the movie. So... <laughs> <laughs> Because, no, you know, you don't hear a lot of people talking about him. So, obviously, he didn't make that much of an impression. You don't hear a lot of fans talking about the opening beauty pageant with Cecily. <laughs> I think you see a fair amount of people who like the F91 design, but rarely do I see anyone who's a huge Iron Mask fan. God, I don't even think people like F91 that much. Like, the design itself. But I think people like the music. I think people like F91. I think they like the protagonist, because obviously they carry through into Crossbone. But rarely do you see someone, at least in my experience, really love Iron Mask and, you know... A lot of the things are successful with a good villain, right? So if you don't have a memorable villain, uh, I don't know. So he needed something else. Maybe the cult thing was was the answer. All right, Isaac. You hear it? I'm opening another, opening another comment. Here we go. All right. Um, we're just going to touch briefly on Gundam Evolution and Gundam Field because uh, as of the last <laughs> news episode, they've already canceled Gundam Evolution. So, oh, Isaac, by the way, I meant to tell you, I have not, Isaac is going to learn about this live, on, well, not live, but uh, on the podcast. They, they also rescinded or canceled early the Kickstarter for that Gundam comic book that we talked about on the news episode (laughs) and they canceled it like the week after we posted our episode so we killed another thing isaac just torpedoed it right just like (laughs) just right out of the sky that's what we do at sunset we (laughs) it becomes dark we bring down the sun on any projects we don't like (laughs) so we've killed another thing but anyway back to evolution in uh, in our gundam field uh, multiple people brought up other sort of analogous games that might be fits. Have you ever played either of these, Titanfall or Armored Core? A lot of people suggested both of these. Okay, no and no. But <laughs> I've watched a lot of playthroughs of Titanfall and the new Armored Core that came out. I'm very aware of the Armored Core series from PlayStation and how acclaimed it is. And everything I hear about Titanfall 2, even though it came out a while ago says it's it's one of the best games if not the best mech games to come out in a long time yeah so it sounds like we should maybe play those one day i've heard nothing good things about the new armored core game which armored is it armored core 6 is that i think i have that right yeah fires a rubicon or something like that so those definitely do sound like good recommendations so i'd be curious if someone's played all three how those compare to uh, battle operation 2 which we will be playing uh, now that i have built my new computer and i am no longer on windows 8.1 ah all right. Here comes Isaac. Oh boy, here we Open go. Open up another comment. This comment comes on our fantastic No Holds Barred interview with Tomino-san uh-huh. that we did on April 1st. Great White wants us to ask him about the Dom spin-off show. I understand that you asked him about the Dom spin-off show, and what did he say? He said that Sunrise doesn't want to do a Dom show right now, because if you think about it, it would make all the other Gundam series look kind of crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much thickness for one show. You know, well. I just don't think an average person would be able to handle it. Everybody can handle the thickness of the skirts <laughs> and the bell bottoms. All right. They're wonderful. This podcast is down with the thickness, down with the Dom, 
and the Rick Dom thickness. I'm going to do it one day. One day in these anime conventions, Brian, I'm going to be the Dom cosplay. Like those people <laughs> that you see sometimes walking around as a yep. mobile suit. You're going to see the Dom one. And I'm going to have a hoverboard under each foot. <laughs> that would be really impressive. You would be all over Gundam Twitter. I'll do a single person jet stream attack. That also sounds incredibly expensive. Oh, also uncomfortable. I'd have to... We're in Southern California, everybody, in case you forgot. I'd have to design an internal cooling system. <laughs> <laughs> Just get Prospera to work on it with you. She invents everything. Oh, sure, yeah. She'll stab me in the back at the last minute. <laughs> Uh, let's move to victory part oh, one boy. i'm currently editing part two so listeners you have not heard our part two review <laughs> so this is only going to focus on part one we still have to advise you not to watch it though <laughs> yeah so i loved i am me and not me his comment here he said never did grasp the story in full the drop off is real in this one godspeed you brave fools <laughs> and i gotta say he's right the back half i really felt like a brave fool mostly foolish but that's a good advice going in. You, you definitely are a brave fool if you're going to watch Victory. Although, Isaac, I did see a lot of people on Twitter recently. There was like a give me a Gundam opinion that is un- that you hold that is unpopular or something, something to that effect. And there were a lot of people like, Victory is one of Tomino's best. You know, I love Victory. It's it's so real. I love all the plot and all this. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, I'm just, I'm just a different person than these people. Like, I guess it's great that they like it, but like, the guy who made it told you not to watch it. That kind of takes me back to like Wing Gundam, how there's some people that like, that's just on repeat for them <laughs> as opposed to me yeah. where I just refuse to even see it again. I don't want nothing to do with it. But <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely feel not so much like a brave fool. I am me and not me, but more of a victim, <laughs> a, victim <laughs> of, <laughs> a victim of whatever poor production it should be called mobile suit victim gundam yeah pretty much like it's a defeat gundam i don't know but it was (laughs) man it was just a slog to get through felt a lot like wing gundam and i was glad when it was over but even when it was over i i definitely agree that second half was just it sucked all hope out that i had in in the first half and just the meandering story the bizarre changes it was just a hot mess that seemed like it was designed by a committee with the worst possible intentions. But um, I am me and not me. Godspeed, you brave fools, is such a hilarious line. I was laughing at that throughout <laughs> the day when I was reading it. <laughs> uh, Don, uh 19 also summed up the show in a very simple way, which I think is perfect. I went back and forth with him. He had a very long comment. Again, thanks for writing in. But he said, overall, it's a show I wanted to like so much more than I did. And I think that's pretty true. Yeah. It's a late UC Tomino series, Isaac. You know, hopes are high. You wish it was good. And then it just kind of didn't do it for me. I would go even further and say um, it's it's disappointing because it's the final UC animated series. And I'm not counting turn A right now. You know, <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I just figured out for almost like for a send off to the UC as like the most current events that happened in the UC, it's still kind of disappointing. And that's probably why that era has not been revisited in animation. Right, yeah. And I'm not counting G-Savior. Oh, God, we have to watch that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least that'll be funny, I think. Oh, I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm already laughing at G-Savior. It makes me smile. <laughs> Isaac, we're going to G-Wrestler. Oh, wow. Isaac, I got to say, out of all of our ideas... You know, that the listeners have bared with us for. I think G Wrestler and the Gundam Western have the highest potential, and I frankly, I don't understand why they haven't been made. The, the wrestling one, especially, right, in the wake of Mobile Fighter G Gundam. The Western, I can kind of, I can see why they'd hold back a bit. 
but the wrestling, no. Absolutely. And Tydon's got a few great ideas. He said we could have some sick color schemes based on wrestlers' wild, brightly colored outfits. Totally agree. Oh, yeah. Like the, the leotards and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You, like, talk about Lucha Libre wrestlers. I mean, you could do that in a Gundam. Since it's an anime, I guess the logical thing would be to make it a hot-blooded shonen-style sports anime where everything is 100% serious and dramatic. But to heck with that, I would like to see a show that delves into the scripted elements of pro wrestling. Let's see some Gundams working themselves into a shoot or having them backstage and catering, waiting to sub in when someone gets injured. Absolutely, Isaac. That's what we were talking about. That's what we want in this show. Yeah, definitely. That wouldn't so much be like a villain, except in the sense that like not entertaining the audience was the villain. But, you know, management was kind of would butt heads with the pilots themselves. Overall, though, everyone's just there to put on a great show. Everyone's just focusing on their career as wrestlers and uh, getting things incredible looking for the uh, the events. <laughs> And his last one, which I can't believe I didn't even think of this, and I'm ashamed of myself. He says, for finishing moves, the jet stream attack makes perfect sense if you're doing trios-style matches. Beyond that, I'm sure you can turn the Zaku kick into some sort of finisher. He brings up multiple-person moves, Isaac, which is one of my favorite things about wrestling. If you think about memorable things, the 3D from the Dudley Boys, great move. Oh, that was great, yeah. Multiple people going through a table. <laughs> so <great>. Yeah. <laughs> Devon get the table. One of my all-time favorites was something that the New Age Outlaws did, rarely because I think it fell out of favor because it's a dangerous move, but the spiked pile driver where Billy Gunn would do a pile driver and Road Dog would jump and push their feet down from the rope. I think that'd be so much fun, Isaac, to have, to have like uh, multi-person moves in this Gundam show with all the different Gundam transformations you can do and different Gundam weapons. You, you could come up with some pretty cool combinations. That would definitely need to be in G-Wrestler. That'd be great. And that's also something we don't really see a lot in Gundam where like multiple Gundams in actual like melee combat working together. Right. Gundams right. are always spaced out a lot. <laughs> right. But if you put them in the ring together, yeah, you, oh. you force a confrontation. Sometimes in wrestling, I remember you'd see like, say someone big, like, I don't know, big show, like about to powerbomb someone, like other people on his team might like help lift that person into place not that he really needs the help but right, like right. they at least put their arms up to convince the audience that it's like a, it's a group attack you know <laughs> oh it's a double it's a double power yeah. bomb <laughs> big show yeah after like six foot five i don't think that person needs a lot of help moving anything really. <laughs> oh man and then of course great white 3512 he said i want to see a dom take an rx78 to suplex city isaac <laughs> the dom definitely has the weight to pull off the suplex <laughs> All right, that Gundam's not going to enjoy that. <laughs> That's how it lost its head. <laughs> Isaac, for Gundam Plus, we had a few good names come in, name suggestions. So tell me what you think about these lightning round. Here we go. Oh, boy. Gundam Beyond. Ooh. To play on Beyond the Time, which is the ending theme to Charge Counterattack. I like that. Gun Plus would be a decent title. Wow. That sounds like an anime. <laughs> <laughs> UC Plus it's from Spider78, since they love tagging stuff with the UC, but not doing much with it. Hey, that's, yeah. a, that's a little jab. I see what you did there, Spider. Ouch. <laughs> Shots fired. And Isaac, also in this show, Great White says, we did it, Isaac. We got the Dom underwear. Isaac, were you aware that there are Dom underwear? And now that you are, are you going to go purchase them? <sighs> Brian, I have to reveal something. I'm wearing only Dom underwear at this oh. very moment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you have it, folks. If you ever doubted him. Let's just say the mono is not on the front, though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I put it where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> right where Daywin can see it. <laughs> this is a great brown-eyed joke there. but <laughs> Oh, that's a pink-eyed joke. <laughs> 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 we 
got to do a shout out to Logander 97 who said he's been traveling back and forth two hours to see some specialty doctors, which has been super stressful. But the episodes of Collie Drop have helped him out. So you know what, Logander, for Brian and I, we hope you get better soon. Hope you get well soon. And uh, hope you just get back up and get back into that cockpit like a Gundam pilot. Like the, like the new type we know you are with your new type powers, okay? And maybe grab yourself some Dom underwear. I mean, it might just make you feel that much more powerful. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of the first thing you put on, the last thing you take off, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why not have it be a Dom? <laughs> In all seriousness, I was very touched by that comment. If our podcast does nothing else, I am happy that we at least made one person feel a little bit better. So all the best, Logander. We're going to drop a colony just for you, Logander, 9027. <laughs> Not on you, to be clear. But no, just on Sydney, where it belongs. Wherever you want it. <laughs> A jabra. Yeah. All right, Isaac. Here we go to Doan's Island. Oh, boy. Fantastic film. I need to watch it again. <laughs> First of all, I got to call this out. This is probably the funniest, one of the funniest comments we got. It was from Spider78 again. This is when I was making fun of Makuve's floof thing that he was wearing. And he said, it's an ascot. For the love of God, the scarf is called an ascot. <laughs> and from now on, for the day to the day I die, I will now never forget that it's called an ascot. I was dying at that because I could just feel his... He was probably just seething listening to that episode. Like, this fool doesn't know it's called an ascot. You know what Spider-78 does? He drives in his Stormtrooper uniform. <laughs> he hears you calling it a scarf or a neckerchief or whatever. And he pulls over his car and just starts <laughs> yelling at the audio playing the podcast. <laughs> you fool. It's an ascot. For the love of God. <laughs> You uncultured swine. It is an ascot. <laughs> Spider 78 comes from a long line of European ascot family <laughs> makers. <laughs> he is clearly a very refined gentleman. So Nine generations of ascot makers from the Habsburg Empire. <laughs> <laughs> they say you learn something new every day, and that day I learned what an ascot was. You know what? I know the term is ascot, but I just thought Makuwe's was something a little different because... Like I think Ascot, and I think of what like Kingpin wears, like old school Kingpin, <laughs> in the white suit with the purple, the purple oh, Ascot, yeah, with his yep. little diamond pin in the middle. Like Makuve's somewhat looks different. I think Makuve has an exaggerated Ascot, but I do think I think he's right. I think it's probably an Ascot. Oh God, Brian! If you ever watch Origin again, especially towards the end, the only person we see in a uniform similar to Makuve is Dagwin's assistant. So my, my, my headcanon is just like the red uniform, we only see Cadillac and Shima and Sharin. If you're in the Nascot uniform, it is exceptionally rare and you're very <laughs> special in the Xeon military. Maybe it means you are the assistant to Azabi. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I never thought of it like that. We will uh, canonize that in our one-year war side story. <laughs> yeah, maybe we will. Yeah, oh, We'll put in more people in red and Ascots. <laughs> It'll be the uh, the Ascot team. You know? Yeah, that's a cool name for a team, actually. <laughs> one last one from Tydon about Doan's Island. He says that this is one of the best Gundam films ever made. And he says, think about it. Every Gundam film that isn't a compilation movie, they're pretty much all plagued by some combination of jankiness and or weird trippy content. Shars Counterattack, trippy ending, narrative, trippy as all get out, double O movie, enough said. And honestly, I think he's right, Isaac. I think from a technical perspective, a strictly like, is it a good film? Is it structured well? Is the, is the plot make sense? The characters, are they used well? 
Stones Island is probably the most complete package. And I think that's because there wasn't so much pressure on that film. The director could just tell a story that he wanted to. It didn't really have to have a goal. You know, Charge Counterattack had to wrap up the whole franchise, you know, at, at the time in two hours, which that, that's a tough thing to do. Narrative, that goes into some real new type space magic beyond even what was in Unicorn, and I'm not even sure people wanted that. Double O, that took on the, the task of introducing aliens. So all these, these other movies, they tried to do really big things, whereas Doan's Island was very small, focused, and what we said in the review is that the film had time to breathe, and I think it reflected in the quality. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. I, I agree with you 100%. I agree with Tight End 19 100%. And Tight End's right. One of the best Gundam films ever made. It's also, much like um, the 8th MS team, the perfect side story because it happens in a way that doesn't affect the main story at all but has absolutely enough room for incredible combat and scenes and characters so the the scale of it being made and the fact that it was the original team and probably the last thing they'll ever do um was really impressive and great and yeah i I regret not being able to see it in theaters (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm actually really jealous he did mention that he was able to see it in theaters so Tied on, I agree with you 100%. I also kind of hate you because you saw it in a theater and I didn't get to see it, so I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, the next best thing, Brian, will be like a haul on, in uncomfortable chairs at an anime convention. And That's pretty much all we can hope for. There'll yeah. be, the air will be musky. <laughs> <laughs> but if we ever do get to see it in a theater, Isaac, we're going to have to wear ascots to it. Uh, <laughs> are you really going to wear a Makuve uniform? Like... <laughs> Oh, I, I, can't, wear an ascot. I can't imagine you, Brian, in anything but like the standard Federation officer uniform. <laughs> maybe the blue. The blue one? Yeah, maybe I'd do the blue. Yeah, I'm not sure. You wouldn't want the khaki? You'd pull off the khaki. Um, you know what I want is um, Amaro's jacket from Charge Counterattack was pretty cool. I like that. Oh, okay. I would take that one. Yeah. Huh. As for me, I just want Delaz's outfit. Yeah, that's good. Do you need like his throne with his big... <laughs> With Picture Gear, of Dagwin behind Gear, it, or oh, Gearin, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take that, but I'd probably swap out Gearin for Dag for for um. Oh boy, now I got to choose. <laughs> Who's <laughs> whose bus do I want? Uh, uh, Shima's. Yeah, it's hard. I'd want either Delaz, Dagwin, maybe Shima. Yeah, not Gearin though. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> he blew it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Isaac, we have come to our favorite comment oh Neil, <laughs> because it has spawned uh the last third of that would probably what's going to be this episode so this comes from a, a guy named isaac isaac oh boy another isaac i think he goes by honda boy or uh thick something on instagram he's from australia i like him already i know his name's isaac he's into thick things drives a honda i drive a honda so i mean there you go this guy's great yeah he's been going back through our back catalog and uh, he's on episode 13, and that must have been the Colony Drop special, he says. And as an Aussie, he'd like to say 300 miles or 480 kilometers isn't much distance of, of Australia. He's referring to the, you know, the destruction wrought by Operation British where they dropped Island Ifish. Interesting. Loving the podcast, but totally found it funny that you thought it destroyed a heap of Australia. Honestly, it would take out Sydney, Newcastle, and Wollongong. We have what's called the Great Dividing Range and what's left of the Blue Mountains, which would help ease any water from uh from coming to inland it might take a chunk out of the state of new south wales but the rest of australia would be chuffed that the sydney wankers were gone <laughs> so in general isaac i think you know we made some comments took out a big chunk of australia and he's saying the chunk wasn't that big 
And I talked with him about this, and he's he's very excited for us to address this. I said we're going to do some math. And Australian Isaac, you've never met this Isaac, but uh, California Isaac is not one to back down from a fight. Especially when it involves super weapons. <laughs> so he's, he's going to fight back uh, hard and fast here. We'll do this in tandem. And Australian Isaac, I'm just going to call you um, uh, Gundam uh, Wallaby for now. Um <laughs> So, I don't think you quite understand something, uh, Gundam Wallaby, sir. <laughs> I don't think you understand that. Uh, I don't think it took a chunk out of Australia. I know <laughs> it took a chunk out of Australia because I've seen the anime where they show us the view from space of your lovely country, Australia. And there is a massive crater, a hole filled with water that's referred to as the Gulf of Sydney because the dropping of the colony moves so much mass and matter out of Australia that there's now a hole on the continent. So we absolutely know it destroyed a huge part of Australia. Not only that, but we're also told that this single colony drop caused so much devastation around the world with you know, earthquakes and tidal waves and such that um, I think a billion people died or something just on Earth. Brian, does that ballpark numbers sound right based on what we oh, heard? Oh, man. I don't even remember anymore. I know it was a lot, though. Yeah. So considering how close Australia is to the epicenter, I absolutely know for a fact that Australia was largely devastated by this. And we can kind of see that in 0083, where (laughs) the Albion and even the base that they have there, they're really not really around anybody or anything left standing in Australia. Maybe a few people made it. Maybe that mountain range blocked some of the water. But um, I don't think at any point Australia was completely underwater. So, sure, the mountain range did help. But other things like uh, the shockwave, the blast, the structural damage to like the tectonic plate itself were um, definitely happened. And, yeah, I think Australia was largely devastated, unfortunately. Unfortunately, uh, Australian Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> I did just pull up. There's a great website uh, run by Mark Simmons. Who's a, I don't even know how to describe him, but he's, he's worked on Gundam. He, he was one of the, I think, the main writer of the Gundam, the official guide. His website is ultimatemark.com if you ever go there. Um, if you just search around, sometimes it's hard to get to specific pages on his website, but um, you can get to one about the colony drop. And he has in here some stuff which I believe he's translated from something. I, I believe this is translated from Gundam Century, which is an, an old info book. And there's a map here, Isaac, of where the devastation was. Is it the lime green Australia? Yes, yes, it is the lime green <laughs> With Australia. With the trajectory of the colony. <laughs> yes, and it says here about one third of the Australian continent and one quarter of the North American continent were annihilated. More than 320, wow. pili- 320 million people were killed, injured, missing. Climate change and other secondary damage led to more than 2 billion killed, injured, and missing. Earth rotation speed was accelerated by 1.2 seconds for every hour. And the shape of Australia's eastern coast was dramatically altered. The earthquakes produced at this time had a magnitude of 9.5, destroying houses across a third of Australia's land, and window glass was shattered throughout half of Australia. That's uh, quite large, Isaac. Yeah, I'm reading that the total energy released from the colony was equal to 60,000 megatons of TNT, which is 3 million times that of the Hiroshima nuclear explosion. So I, I can't, my mind cannot fathom that level of destruction, I just know that you probably didn't want to be in Australia when this thing fell, <laughs> even if you were on the other side of the continent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So it's interesting that he brings up, that he compares it to Hiroshima, Isaac, okay? So I put on my physics hat, and fair warning, listeners, I only have about half of a physics degree. And it's the lower half, obviously, not the upper half. <laughs> and it's been a while. But I took a shot at uh, estimating how, how bad this thing would be. And let me tell you, Isaac, it's bad. It's way worse than, than it is in the show, and way worse than I thought. So much so that I, my calculations have to be wrong. This is ridiculous. This thing is ridiculously powerful. So I'm going to take you through the assumptions I made. And just, just to have a good fun, we're going to do some math here, okay? So what I attempted to do was quantify the kinetic energy in the colony when it hit the, hit the Earth. The equation for kinetic energy is one-half mass times volume squared. Okay, that's an easy, well-known physics one equation. Uh, we also need to know the volume of the colony. The volume of a cylinder is pi times the radius squared times the height of the cylinder. I'm going to ignore the mirrors. I'm going to ignore the little bits on the cylinder ends. And I'm going to assume the same calculation for open colonies versus closed type colonies. I'm going to ignore the mass of the people and the plants inside because I'm going to assume their masses are not material relative to the metal that makes up the colony. Of course. To do this, I looked at a, a nice diagram that Zionic published. The sort of accepted size of a colony is 32 kilometers long. Wow. And 6.4 kilometers in diameter. The main thing here is I had to come up with the mass of the colony. So I had to make some assumptions here. I looked at three densities, density of steel, titanium, and aluminum, and I averaged them. I figured the main thing it'd be made of is like probably steel, which is pretty heavy. <clears throat> that has a, a density of 8,050 kilo, kilograms per meters cube. And aluminum is much lighter at 2,710 kilogram per meters cubed. Now, <clears throat> I averaged them because I don't know really what it's going to be made of, but I felt like a sum of, an average of those three would be something to go off of. The average of those three, steel, titanium, and aluminum, is roughly 5,100 kilograms per meters cubed. Okay? Okay. I felt like that was a decent assumption. Probably the hardest part here, Isaac, is trying to figure out how much of the colony actually has mass, because it turns out that the colonies are mostly empty. They're mostly empty right. space. Yeah. Uh, which kind of makes sense, right? Because one, if they were solid, we really wouldn't be able to churn out many of these things. They had to get a lot of people into space quick. And I did the one thing here in math class that you're really not supposed to do, which is go by the picture. But based on the schematic that appears fairly authoritative, I estimated that out of the 32 kilometers long, roughly 30 kilometers of it is sort of empty. And out of the 6.4 diameter, I think basically six, six of that is empty. The actual space taken up by material is pretty small. And I did that by, in the schematic, they have a, on the cylindrical end, they have a, a, a distance of one kilometer between the surface and the clouds. And I just took that and figured out how many distances of one kilometer could I make where it looked like I wasn't touching uh, the city. And that left me about 0.4 kilometers. Okay. On the length, I did the same thing. Length is a little difficult because the ends have more material than the, you know, middles of the colony. Yeah. But I think my estimate was fairly conservative. So if you plug all that in and you take the, the volume of the larger cylinder and you subtract the volume of the smaller cylinder. And so basically the volume of the big cylinder and then the volume of the empty space. So if you subtract the volume of the empty space from the volume of the big cylinder, you get what I'm calling the volume of the cylinder that actually has mass, which I'm estimating is 181 billion meters cubed. Okay, that's a big number. It doesn't yeah. really mean much. So then I had to figure out how fast the colony was going, Isaac. This is hard to figure out. What I looked at was re-entry speed of common things. Things that re-enter from lower Earth orbit enter at 7.8 kilometers per second. Things returning from the moon enter at about 11 kilometers per second. 
and I think the fastest thing that has come back that was man-made, I think was, at least in the source I was using, was something called the Stardust vehicle. It was like a capsule that was returning some sort of sample, and it, it re-entered at 12.4 meters per second. So I don't know how fast the colony was going. It wasn't going that fast, Isaac, because like people were attacking this thing, remember? It was on fire. But it was going, it had some speed. So I figured if we just assumed it was like any other vehicle, that's a reasonable assumption. You could also do this with potential energy, but I didn't do that. I saw someone else did it, and I haven't actually reviewed his calculation. I want to, I'm curious how close we are, but it's not going to matter because the result is so enormous. <laughs> so that gave me uh, an average reentry speed of 10.4 kilometers per second. So now I have my volume, my speed, and I have an average density. I need the last thing I need, because again, our equation is kinetic energy equals one half mass times volume squared. I need the mass. So to get mass, you just multiply density times volume. So I, I multiply those two things, and I got a mass to the colony of 924 trillion kilograms. So if you plug that into the kinetic energy equation, you get, I don't even know, how, I don't even know what this number is. So let's see, million, billion, trillion uh it's uh i don't know what's after <laughs> let's see million billion trillion what's after trillion quadrillion probably yeah uh it's uh, quintillion septillion, <laughs> sextillion 49 sextillion joules si unit of measurement of energy is joules that's a lot of juice yeah it's a lot of juice but when you get this amount of energy people start using the bigger units of joules uh so i think it's 49 sextillion joules which turns into 49 billion terajoules okay so i need i need a comparison point isaac 49 billion terajoules how big is that the hiroshima explosion yeah from the nuke was only 63 terajoules wow so again my calculation says which for very well could be wrong someone check me that the that the colony drop would be 40 no roughly 50 billion terajoules and hiroshima was only 63 so a billion times more powerful than hiroshima <laughs> Which, compared to the actual source we just saw uh, on ultimatemark.com, which is a translation from Gundam Legacy, where it said it was, colony drop was 3 million times as powerful as Hiroshima, that would only put you at 189 million terajoules. I'm still two orders of magnitude above that. <laughs> but Brian, Australian Isaac said only Sydney and the surrounding <laughs> cities were destroyed. Everything else was okay in Australia. <laughs> so uh, Australian Isaac, I like your optimism. But man, this this math is just bonkers. I I there I had to look up terajoules and petajoules. I was like, what the hell is? I've never seen people refer to these values before. And so for, here's another here's another comparison point, Isaac, because Hiroshima didn't really result in a crater, to my knowledge. I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of cratering, but not to the extent that we see we see in Gundam, right? So when you think of crater, Isaac, what do you think of? What's the most famous crater on the planet? Probably that Mexican one in the Yucatan. That's right. Yeah. The one that destroyed, that killed the dinosaurs. Right. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. The Chicxulub Crater? The Chick-fil-A Crater, sure. Yeah, the Chick-fil-A <laughs> Crater. There you go. Okay. The the Chick-fil-A Crater had a impact energy of 300 zettajoules. Okay. I converted my answer, which was the, 40, the 50 billion terajoules, to zettajoules, and it was 17% as powerful as the thing that wiped out the dinosaurs. Wow. So in my opinion colony drop would be an extinction level event probably worse much worse than it was in the show i mean the show showed various bad things right isaac but yeah i think it probably would have just killed everyone on earth wow well not those australians <laughs> no, they're resilient i not mean those, australia, yeah. they, you got lots of weird animals down there you guys are are very 
uh, resourceful and durable. I mean, you got crazy stuff on there. <laughs> you know what? The Australians have what, according to Australian Isaac, is called the Great Dividing Range. That's really all you need to stop a colony drop, right? <laughs> <laughs> So I have a very simplistic assumption of speed. It doesn't account for anything burning off the colony because that could obviously lower the mass. Huh. But you'd have to lower the mass significantly because I am like orders of magnitude greater than what they say in the show. Yeah. So really, it's a lot less mass, a lot slower speed. Right. But man, I don't see I don't see how you get there without being orders and orders of magnitude wrong. So I'm gonna go check my. Cal- I, I see some other people have done this, try to do this. I'm I'm wondering if we're it all in the same ballpark. Someone else did it with a potential energy equation, which is PE equals MGH. I didn't do it that way. I did kinetic energy. That seemed more relevant to me. But uh, if someone who's uh, much better at physics than me, I would like uh, you to do the calculation and see what you get. See if we're even in the same order magnitude. Because Isaac, when the energy is that high, if you're even dealing in the same order magnitude, it's, you're, you're basically there. It, the number doesn't even matter. It, it's are you in the billions? Are you in the sextillions? Because whether it's 5 billion or 10 billion versus sextillion, it doesn't really matter that the actual number. It's just you're dealing with sextillion versus billion. It's completely different order of magnitude. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit from the same source. About one-third of the Australian continent and one-quarter of the North American continent were annihilated. Okay, Brian Array read that. More than 320 million people were killed, injured, or missing as a result of the first wave of damage. Climate changes and other secondary damage led to more than 2 billion killed, injured, and missing. And I'm no physicist or scientist, but I'm going to guess the closer you are to the main impact site in Australia, probably the worse it was. Oh, absolutely, man. I'm sure that percussive wave just knocked you on your ass. Last but not least, I'll read this last uh, couple of sentences. The kinetic energy of the colony that fell on Sydney triggered volcanic activity. Due to the resulting outflow of lava and crustal movements, the shape of Australia's eastern coast was dramatically altered. The earthquakes produced at this time were on a scale far surpassing that of the earthquakes caused by normal crustal energy and had a magnitude of 9.5. Australian Isaac, I don't think a lot of buildings in Australia, no matter what side of the continent they were on, fared very well after a 9.5 earthquake (laughs) australian isaac just let me tell you when i sent california isaac the comments today he said and i quote i will i will defend to the death the destruction of australia (laughs) (laughs) i have screen caps that prove australia was cratered i stand by my statement it devastated the entire continent of australia he's not taking this line down australian isaac so You know what? If you want to go a few a few more rounds with him, please please send in some rebuttals, and we would be happy to uh, bring them back up on the next on the next mail call. Australian Isaac, I like how gung ho you are that like the continent itself, Australia, whether it's the Great Dividing Range or just the nature of the country, it's so robust that the colony couldn't possibly have destroyed the entire country. <laughs> so so because of that, Brian, in our side story, I hope we put Australian Isaac in it. And like, it turns out he was there when the colony fell, not in, not in Sydney, but like maybe somewhere else on in Australia. Um, he was there when it fell and his attitude about it was, yeah, I guess that was kind of rough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those space fascists, they're all barking, no bite. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> 
he's out for some unfazed vengeance. He's just like, yeah, I'll get him when I get him, you know? Yeah, the Australian way. It's just, yeah, they, <laughs> they said that they were, they said it was powerful, but you know what? We've got thick skin. We made it out all right. <laughs> he's the chillest guy on the white dingo team. The Federation, like scientists and officers are like, what do you mean? It devastated most of the planet. Yeah, but not Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Australians are resilient people, you know. Yeah. I, what what more what more do we need to say? It's just is their quality of mateship, you know. They're just <laughs> they just put one foot in front of the other, and man, boy, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to think of a super weapon to deal with the uh, the Australian spirit because they just <laughs> they can't be defeated. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So that was our that was our colony drop in depth analysis, and uh, boy, I'm curious what Australian Isaac thinks because. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm curious, uh, obviously, what what uh, Australian Isaac thinks, and also what anyone else thinks about my calculations. They're so ridiculous that they have to be wrong. I'm sure I did something wrong or like not super complete. I did look at someone else who did it, and he also got a ridiculous answer. So <laughs> it just seems like that's how the math works. Now, granted, I used a very simple kinetic energy equation. I'm sure there's like a better equation that takes into account, you know, a better speed and angle of reentry and friction and stuff like that, but. Again, order of magnitude is is just startling here, Isaac. Brian, the numbers are wrong. I know people say numbers lie, but the numbers are wrong. The Australians are right. <laughs> Very well could be. I like how he says, eh, it would take out Sydney, Newcastle, and Wollongong. Is that right? Huh, interesting. I, I apologize. I apologize, Australian Isaac and other listeners. We're not super familiar with cities in Australia. It's a, it's a city, yeah. It's a colloquially referred to as the Gong. The Gong. Interesting. That's a cool name, actually. It's in New South Wales. Oh, it all sounds like a Chinese name or something. I hope we didn't make Australian listeners just roll their eyes right now. When I, Probably, yeah. They feel like that's that, that stupid American. How dare he? <laughs> Australia looks great. I really want to go there, but the wildlife does frighten me a little bit, Isaac. There was this one meme I saw of like a guy, not meme, but I think it was on Instagram. This guy just walking down like a street. Yeah. And just in the sky was just full of spider webs. Oh my God. Like 50 feet in the air, just the whole street. Like I don't even know what they were attached to. And there were just spiders <laughs> just everywhere. floating. They've developed that ability. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I, I'm. Not, this is terrifying. That's the kite spider. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I've always heard that about Australia, you know, like the, the wildlife and all that, the constant threat. But at the same time, I was like, as a tourist, you're really just moving city to city. Well, I am. <laughs> I, I know some tourists are probably like, oh, we have to go for like a walkabout in the outback. And, you know, that's not an Isaac vacation. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I always figured if you stick to the city, you'd be okay. Maybe. I mean, maybe Australian Isaac can give us a tour if we ever go down there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> He'll show us the Great Dividing Line, and then we yeah, can... Yeah, be like, you see this? Nothing is getting past the Great Dividing Range. We'll, we'll go to, like, the physics department at the University of Sydney. We'll each have, like, our little binders and our printouts, and we'll, like, <laughs> we'll each argue our case, you know? <laughs> let, him, let him decide. Yeah. Actually, no, because that's bias, right? Because, the, yeah, the Australian physics department, they might, like, back up Australian Isaac and be like, <laughs> yeah, this colony, we, we could take it <laughs> these oh, americans man. don't know what they're talking about these fools we can absolutely take a colony on sydney so um, thank you australian isaac that spurred a great discussion and i'm sorry californian isaac doesn't see it your way you know what neither does california brian apparently <laughs> the math isn't pretty i gotta be honest i my opinion now is that if that thing landed in in, in relatively decent shape uh world is doomed so let alone Australia. 
Yeah, the, the next thing I was going to try to do, Isaac, was try to play with the variables to see if I could get down to the actual thing in the show. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have to lose quite a bit of something here because I am 50 billion too high. Terajoules. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of terajoules. So. We love you, Australian Isaac, and we hope one day to <laughs> to go to Australia, speak to, <laughs> I don't know, University of Sydney or something, and, and just j- just figure out exactly... <laughs> exactly what would happen <laughs> you better be careful man he's gonna he's gonna go research and just come at you next time with facts you know what diagrams i hope there's like an anime community in australia's like academia especially in sydney and i'd like to imagine like some professors have gotten some paper together and they did kind of crunch the numbers after like <laughs> a couple of them watched gundam right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen a few people online, but yeah, you're right. I think we need I think we need the Australian people to do their own calculation. Yeah. Oh god. Okay, let's do it then. Let's put out the call to Isaac, Australian Isaac and all their Australian listeners. <laughs> Go to like your nearest university's physics department, explain the colony drop and <laughs> ask them to take like 20 minutes out of their day to like count the count up the numbers <laughs> and and figure out the damage and what exactly it would mean for the rest of Australia outside of Sydney. <laughs> yeah, tell them that this franchise has used your your continent as just like yeah. it's punching bag for the last 40 <laughs> years and you need to fight back. All the other colony drops are kind of brushed aside because everybody remembers the drop on the Sydney, but nobody really talks yeah. about like Dublin or Lhasa. Or, well, Lhasa was a, an asteroid, but yeah. But yeah, we, we love you, Australian Isaac. I love your attitude, your optimism. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Thanks to all the listeners who who wrote in, continue to write it in. Love your comments. Keep them coming and uh, look forward to seeing you at the next mail call. <laughs> Do you think like <laughs> during a colony drop, if Australian Isaac was in Sydney, like he would just like go to the tallest building, look at the colony and just <laughs> just give it the finger? <laughs> yeah, he would just shrug it off. Yeah, it'd feel like this won't be too bad. Everybody just go about your business. <laughs> <laughs> wow it was a 10 billion ton colony oh yeah i wonder if I, I could convert that to what i got i wonder if it's according to ultimate mark it says it was nearly 10 billion ton colony okay oh uh, my mass came out to 1 trillion tons whoa so we're a little different there would that have impacted damage uh you just gave australian isaac an out <laughs> <laughs> No, he's gonna. I did. Let me uh, <laughs> let me check. Let me let me replug in. Come on, Brian. The Australian's gonna jump all over this and say, "Oh, see, it had less mass. That <laughs> makes all the difference." <laughs> uh, okay, hold on. Let me convert that. I need I need to get it in kilograms here. That does drop it to 596 terajoules, which is a lot less than the stated because they said three million times Hiroshima, mm-hmm. which would be 189 million terajoules. I'm only coming up with 596 terajoules now. I'm, I'm way short now. Oh, no. What could this mean? Well, there's, I mean, we only adjusted for mass. We'd have to adjust for speed. So someone would need to give a speed. I mean, you could back into one. But yeah, so there you go. There's a lot of math. Well, I think we can all agree that the colony fell. A lot of bad things happened. But the real question is, what happened in the Gundam Australia side story? The Gundam <laughs> Wallaby side story starring Australian Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> And his team, very durable Australians. Yeah. The anti-colony team. Oh, there you go. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. The anti-drop specialists. Oh, oh. <laughs> they just shrug everything off. Oh, they're from Australia, so they got a bone to pick with colony droppers. Oh. There you go. It writes itself, Australian Isaac. It's called Mobile Suit Gundam Never Again. Yeah. <laughs> Mobile Suit Gundam uh, Operation Kangaroo or something. <laughs>
All right, listeners, if you got any more questions, comments, thoughts, ideas, you know what to do, leave a comment and we will get to it in the next mailbag episode. Isn't that right, Brian? That's right. Take us away, Isaac. All right, listeners, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed, get on your knees, put your hands together, look up at the ceiling, and hail Zeon. Good night, everybody.